Amen. Hey, thank Josh and the team, if you would. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, if you're watching online, we're glad that you're uh, where you are and that you can be with us today in that way. It's really a special Sunday for Castle Oaks, a unique moment in our history. We get to maybe move forward in a path that we're trying to discern as a church body. And it's been a while that we have desired and wanted to add to our staff team in the area of student ministry. And the tallies, Don and Chrissy, who are right back here, they, uh, well, a few years ago, picked up the baton and have been running with it all this time in a volunteer capacity. You can thank them right now if you want to. And when the time comes, we'll thank the tallies in a, in a proper way. Uh, we're so grateful for them and what they have done in terms of building and laying a strong foundation for our student ministry. And so we began a search and began looking, and uh, we believe our paths have crossed with uh, a gentleman named Mike Mason who's with us today. Uh, we've gotten to know him through several meetings and opportunities to connect over the last three months, and we want you to meet him today. Uh, he's going to share a bit about his heart. I'm going to introduce him to you. He and I are going to chat in just a minute. And then following our church service today, uh, we will have in this place and online uh, a congregational meeting to uh, talk about moving forward with Mike and what that would look like and give you a chance as a church to affirm a couple of decisions that will be necessary for us to solidify that partnership. And so if you're not a member, you're welcome to be a part of that congregational meeting. In fact, if you're not a member, I'd really encourage you to stay and be a part of it just so that you can kind of see, you know, how things work around here. Uh, especially if you're online too, you get a chance just to be a voyeur and hang out. If you are a member and you're here, you'll get a chance to vote on a paper ballot at home. If you're online, you'll get a chance to vote through an online survey. All the voting, of course, uh, same same as uh, as if we were all present in the room together. So do me a favor, with all that in mind, would you welcome Mike Mason to the stage? Thanks, Phil. Yep. You can right. take that off if you want. Okay. I got Hi, vaccinated. Welcome, Mike. It's good to have him here. So, Mike, Mike, uh, if, if you uh, are a member, you got a little bio sheet about Mike, and you got some info about him. Um, if not, we don't want you to start, you know, kind of shorthanded. So, we want you to get to know him just a little bit. And um, our team, our volunteers, and our leadership team has gotten to know Mike over the last three months. And he has an incredible heart for student and family ministry. And that's a, a large part of his job description uh, that we're hoping he fulfills here at Castle Oaks. So just, just take a minute. What's your, what's your favorite thing about working with students and families? Well, thank you, Phil. There's a couple answers to that. The first, the most obvious one is anytime we get to go to a park with roller coasters. So that's probably the first one. Um, we're already talking about trying to petition Six Flags to, you know, to start building in Denver. It's just a thought. It's just a thought, everybody. But I think really probably the most exciting, we love those breakthrough moments where you see where a, a student or a family just really starts to get it and starts to realize what it means either to follow Jesus for the first time or to go deeper in that commitment. But also something I love is just the slow momentum of growth that we start to see as people come on board as students and then maybe their families who are never part of church start to become a part of it and really figure out what it means to have a relationship with God 
rather than just sort of a religion and following a checklist of rules and things like that. So that's probably it for me. That's incredible. Mike brings to the table about 30 years of ministry experience. He brings a, a big pile of education. In fact, he's officially a doctor, so we have to call him Dr. Mike. And but Mike, I do not have any vaccines. I'm sorry. I'm not that kind of doctor. So Mike currently lives in, in the Bay Area in California where they're a little stingy with the vaccines. And he was born in Tampa in Florida. So, I mean, you know, you're, you're born on the two, born and then spending time on the coast. I, I just got to ask, what do you think about Colorado so far? Well, it's beautiful. So this isn't my first time being here, actually. So I've known the tallies for a long, long time. So I visited with Don and Chrissy and the girls before. But I think what I love about Colorado is, so I'm kind of a sucker for national parks. I like that. In fact, when I was here in September, I drove up to Rushmore and then went around to Yellowstone. Um, I'm a big fan of Yosemite. So though I would miss that from California, there's so much to see here. In fact, Don took me down to Garden of the Gods last year and is just stunning. So I, I love it. And everything I've known so far about the people, everyone's been so friendly here. That might not necessarily be true in California. I don't know what you've heard, <laughs> but, um, but it's definitely the case here. That's great. Well, I know I've heard that there's a burning question on the minds of some, and they've, they've slipped me a little money to ask it publicly so we mm -hmm. can have it on the record. I mean, you're in the backyard of the 49ers and the Oakland Raiders. You were born in Tampa, and the rumor is they have a football team. I don't know. Can you, what, what do you think about the Denver Broncos, Mike? Well, the, I will say this. Let me say something positive. The Denver Broncos did get John Lynch for a little while. So there you go, if you remember who he is. Now he's the GM of the 49ers. But the truth is, and I'll talk about this a little later, but if you're a Tampa sports fan, that means you're, you, people certainly have an opinion of you. And all I have to say is, as of 2020, we are now Champa Bay. And, <laughs> and uh, we, are, we are on the road to repeat in hockey. And we'll see what happens with football. You know, these people are going to vote for you in just a little I bit. Know. I know. Yeah, yeah. So let me say this. I have nothing against the Broncos. <laughs> Absolutely nothing against them. Um, well, that's better than some of the Broncos fans in the room. They have some things against the Broncos this year. So I'm glad he's here. You're going to get to know him and hear his heart for student ministry. Let me uh, pray for Mike and get out of the way. Lord, we ask that you would bless this time. We ask that you would uh, shine through Mike's heart as he talks about his love and desire to know you better and to uh, lead families and students down that same path. And Lord, we as a congregation open our hands up before you and just ask that you would guide us and lead us and him as well. We ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. We all say together, amen. Amen. All right. Thanks a lot, Phil. So everybody, um, yeah, Phil asked me if I would share, and he said 15 or 20 minutes, so I'm guessing that's really 30 or 40. What time is it? No, no. Um, thanks a lot for inviting me and allowing me to speak to you. What I want to do today is just share a little bit about myself so that you can get to know me better as a person, and then also, I, I really want you to know why I'm so invested in working with the next generation, like why that's such a big deal. But first... Just by way of introduction, my name is Mike, um, and as Phil has mentioned, 
I am from the Tampa area, and I've lived in California for almost 30 years, which is really hard to believe because I'm only 35. And so, <laughs> yeah, I know. Thanks. Insert laughter. So, um, related to growing up in Tampa, there's some facts about me that you should probably know. First, Florida is the South. Many people do not realize that. They think of Florida and they think, oh, Miami Beach, and they think, oh, Disney World. The rest of it is the South. So I am from the South, but I am not what you would call Southern. And I'll just leave it at that. You can figure out what that means all that you want. Um, something else about me, very important, so that you're prepared for this in advance, because I don't, you know, I don't want to shock you in any way, but I wear shorts in all weather. All right. So today... I'm wearing long pants, and th this is my way of honoring you. <laughs> but in truth, I would be wearing shorts today normally, and I, as soon as this is all over, I will be, you know, putting on shorts to get ready to get on the plane to go back home. Um, Diet Mountain Dew is my coffee. Some of you are already aware of this, but I'm not a big coffee drinker. And um, let's see, other important things you should know about me. 100% on Team Godzilla. Sorry, Kong fans. I am on Team Godzilla all the way. And um, finally, as Phil mentioned, being a Tampa sports fan, usually what that is, it's a sign of either people kind of say, oh, that's sweet. So it elicits sympathy or gritty perseverance. Like, wow, did you know the Buccaneers are the losingest pro sports team across all sports? Yes, I knew. I knew. Those days are in the past, at least for a little while. Um, Something else that's very important is that for almost my entire adult life, I have been in vocational student ministry. So I've had roles as family pastor, and I had a brief stint as a senior pastor. It was about three years. It was one of those when I finished up seminary, you know, well, I'm never going to be a pastor. I'm a youth guy for life. And as soon as you say something like that, God's sense of humor comes into play. And in my very last course, I think it was an administration course, a guest professor came up to me and he said, Mike, we've, we've got a church we want you to consider pastoring. It's like, great. So, so I did that for a little while, but I think that was good. It made me better at understanding student ministry from both sides. Um, but people usually say, well, Mike, there aren't a lot of people who stay in youth ministry for their entire lives. Why would you do something like that? And the truth is, I get it. Because the more that I work with youth, the more that I learn when I'm trying to find volunteers, that adults tend to be afraid of teenagers. And I'm not sure why. Like I'm looking at Taylor right now and she's, she's not that terrifying to me. But I, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. Um, the truth is, is that I, I'm going to spend a little bit of time today just sharing my heart and hopefully explaining so that you can know a little bit better why I feel like student ministry is, in fact, a lifelong calling. And so to get started today, we are going to look at a passage in the Old Testament book of Judges. Now, Judges kind of chronicles the first 300 years or so of the history of Israel, right? And so it's, it's from the time of Joshua's death that we're going to look at today until the time of Samuel. So Joshua and this first generation who had come out of bondage, out of the wilderness and into the promised land, they witnessed God's deliverance, but now they were sort of dying off. They were gone. And so 
something truly disturbing began to happen among the people of Israel. So let's take a look at this passage. And you can see right here in Judges 2, it says, after that whole generation, so this is Joshua's generation and those older than him, had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now let's just pause for a second and let that think in. In one generation, they went from a nation who had seen God's miraculous work, who had heard of the deliverance from Egypt, who had spent all that time in the wilderness and saw God deliver the promised land into their hands. And in one generation, they forgot about God. Now, I'm going to give you some sobering statistics today. I'm going to try to stay upbeat and positive, but, but there are some things that we need to take a look at as the church. And by the church, I don't just mean us as a family here at Castle Oaks, but I mean the church with a big C, because the church is clearly doing something wrong when it comes to our young people. And here's what I mean by that. It probably won't surprise you that young people have kind of been leaving the church for decades. This has been going on for a while, right? That young people tend to, as they, as they exit high school, they go off to college, or maybe they go to military or to work, and suddenly they're just not connected to their church anymore. So that's nothing new. But what is new and becoming worse is that they're leaving the church at such an alarming rate. And in fact, the most recent good research that we have from Lifeway Research tells us that about 70% of young people drop out of church before the age of 23. Okay, this is not good news. So this indicates to me right off the top that there's a problem. There's something that's not going well in our youth ministry across the country. So maybe we need to take a closer look. Let's see if we can understand this a little better because the problem seems to be that young people, they'll grow up in church, they'll go to their children's ministry, their kids' ministry. Then as they get older, they get busier, things start to happen. And then by the time they go off to college, they're done. So what can we do? Why aren't they sticking? Well, today I want us to look at a passage. This is a parable from Jesus where he's going to talk a little bit about why people stick to their faith or don't stick to their faith. So we're going to go to the book of Matthew and Jesus is teaching. We're going to jump right in here. This is in Matthew chapter 13. So there's quite a bit here, but I want us to see the whole passage in context. So we read that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. So this is the parable of the sower. You're probably familiar with it, but if not, we're going to unpack it. So moving on, it says, as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So Jesus gets on a boat and Jesus loved to teach in parables. And I think the reason Jesus loved to teach in parables so much was because Jesus was so good at building bridges. 
he understood his listeners. He understood what his audiences were going through. And of course, Israel then was a very agricultural society. So a sower planting seeds is something that his listeners are going to be able to relate to. So he gets on the boat. It's so crowded on the shore. He has to push back a little bit and he can teach everyone. Now, his disciples were, sometimes we kind of pick on the disciples a little bit because, you know, they're a little bit slow, right? You ever kind of feel that way? Like, come on, Peter, get with the program a little bit. But the truth is, is that we're so familiar with all of these things because we've read them over and over and over, but they were living it. They were processing brand new information that they heard for the first time. So we need to be a little bit more compassionate probably to the disciples. I mean, you, can pro- you probably have your disciple that you relate to, you know, for those of us who are kind of loud and boisterous, maybe it's Peter, you know, for those of us who like to call down thunder and lightning on people, maybe it's John and James, I'm not sure. All right. But the truth is, is that these disciples were learning. This was all brand new for them. And as we see their lives play out later on after Jesus ascends, we see a much different group of disciples. So let's give them a little bit of credit. Now, Jesus is going to explain to these disciples, here's what I meant by the parable of the sower. So he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. That is the, this is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So there's a good, clear explanation from Jesus. Now, Mike, what does this have to do with how you feel about student ministry today and how we're so concerned that so many young people seem to be dropping out of church? Well, this is what I think it means. First off, let's take a look at this parable. Is it really the parable of the sower or is it a parable about soil? In fact, four different kinds of soils that Jesus describes. I think it's really about cultivating soil. I think, first of all, we should all be in the business of sowing seed, right? Sharing the word of God. I think that's absolutely true. But something I learned working with my good friend Don Talley at Youth for Christ was that there's a difference between evangelism and responsible evangelism, right? So if I take a group of students to minister to the homeless in downtown San Francisco, and someone is up on a soapbox with a big sign that says, turn or burn, you're on the highway to hell, whatever, okay? You're seeing in contrast two different kinds of evangelism. One is sharing with people in need, helping to meet their physical needs, listening to their stories, and then explaining to them that there's a God who loves them. So that's one type of evangelism. Then there's the fire and brimstone type of evangelism. So what I have learned through the years is that responsible evangelism is the evangelism that produces fruit. Now, 
What that means to us as people who love students and who want to work with students is that before we do the work of evangelism and sharing God's love, we need to also cultivate that soil. And I think if we do a better job in the church in America today of cultivating soil, then we will see a lot fewer students who are leaving the church as they graduate from high school. So it's kind of an interesting parable because almost three quarters of our students tend to walk away and don't stick with their faith, but three quarters of the soil are also bad soil. So that's just an interesting parallel I found. So let's look at the three different types of soil that are bad. So first we have, oh, I'm sorry. First, let's talk about the good soil. All right. We have a responsibility to create good soil. We have responsibilities to cultivate that among our students. But first, we need to look and avoid the bad soil. All right? The first, the seeds that fall along the path. Now, a footpath in Jesus' day, as they would walk down, you know, it was usually compressed dirt, okay? And you would have a path there that was obviously not good for sowing seeds. So as the seed scatters, some lands on the path. Jesus said, well, the birds come and take it. And Jesus explains that those birds actually represent the evil one. And I think this is a great reminder for us that we need to pray for our young people. Because as we look at all the things in the world that can distract and tempt them, the truth is, is that there's also a supernatural component to this that we cannot forget. And we read in Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul writes, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So our real enemy is not Cardi B, all right? My real enemy is cardio. No, I'm sorry. Not in my notes. All right, I just threw, just threw that in there. All right, our... But our real enemy are not the people and the, the, the people that we see and, and you know, oh, I don't, I don't like the school system or I don't like the political system or whatever. Our real enemies are supernatural enemies and we need to remember that. So that reminds us that we need to be on our knees and we need to be praying for our young people. Okay, let's move on. The next type of bad soil, the rocks. So on the sides of the path, you have the rock. So there's some soil there, but it's shallow soil. And in the shallow soil, the seed will land and it will spring up quickly. But then it doesn't have roots, so it dies off. When there's any kind of persecution or testing, the plants don't survive. Now, this is what I will say about the rocks. I'm afraid that for us as a church, and for student ministry as a whole across America, there's a big temptation to cast our seed to the rocks. And this is what I mean. I believe the rocks represent emotionalism. Shallow soil that pushes people to make quick decisions. But unfortunately, those decisions are not grounded. The soil is not good. And so those people fade away quickly. You know... You've probably been to a camp and you see some people, you know, the last night of camp, they usually call it cry night. Everybody's crying. They break their cigarettes in half. They pour out all their alcohol. I'll never smoke and drink again. Two weeks later, 
back in front of the 7-Eleven doing the same thing. There's no lasting change because there's no root. There's no good soil. So that's the rocks. Now let's talk about the thorns. I think the thorns is huge for all of us, but particularly among our students. Because while the emotional and spiritual needs of young people has never changed and never will change, while those needs never change, the busyness, the distraction, the Generation Z faces more than any of us, even millennials, have ever faced. In fact, we have brand new Gen Z research, just came out in February from Barna Research, and it shows that Gen Z is busier than any generation prior. They're also more exhausted, more self-absorbed, and more depressed than any other generation was. And in fact, this is extremely disturbing because in 2011, suicide became the number two killer of teenagers in America. And it has stayed at number two behind auto accidents ever since. That should concern us. But here's the good news, because I know we're depressing right now. There is hope. If this seems like a lot of bad news, let me reassure you that in fact, there can, we can do something about it. We have the power to overcome this. And I will tell you, and my good friend Don can back this up. We have seen where a small group of Christian young people can turn around their entire public high school campus where they can go and become the conscience and the heart of that campus and share their faith with their friends. And some will receive it and some won't. But no matter what happens, we are practicing the responsible evangelism of cultivating that soil. So that's what I encourage all of us to think about today as we remember that really good news that there is a fourth soil. So we together cultivate that soil. And I believe for some reasons I'll get to in just a few minutes that Castle Rock is in a very strong position. This community can make a huge difference. All right. We want young people who will be like trees that prosper and don't wither. And so we're going to look at Psalm number one today. It goes like this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Now here it is. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They're like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly. But the path of the wicked leads to destruction. That's the first psalm. And I think there's a lot for us to learn about cultivating that soil because we want our young people to be those trees planted by the river. So how do we do it? In a world of emotional hype for our teenagers and extreme busyness and TikTok distractions, rampant depression, I believe that we as Castle Oaks can take up the challenge to teach our young people to live so they become like this. And I think the way to do it is actually quite simple. It's what we have now since called the greatest commandment. 
in Mark chapter 12, a teacher of the law has asked Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus was breaking it down very simply. Love God, love people. I believe that as a congregation, our sons and daughters have the power to make an impact in Castle Rock. There are roughly 7,000 11 to 19-year-olds in our community, and only 350 are connected to a church. Chrissy did the math for me, that's 5%. So let's make sure we give them a place to invite their friends and to grow deeper in their faith. Castle Rock urgently needs our young people to have a place where they can have, be salt and light, okay? They can make Castle Rock a city on a hill. So in conclusion, I'll say, I'm committed to serving young people and their families. In the American church, student ministry is often an afterthought. Sometimes people think, oh, well, you're a 50-year-old pastor, that's great. Oh, you're a 50-year-old family children's pastor. That's great. You're a 50-year-old youth pastor. Are you crazy? Fair enough. But that is the way the church in America works. People see youth ministry as a stepping stone. Oh, I'll do it for a couple of years. I think pretty much every pastor that I've ever worked alongside has said, oh yeah, I did youth ministry. I did it for a little while or I did it for a couple of years. And then, you know, to my delight or to my chagrin, they think they're still an expert or they say, ah, Mike, I'll let you deal with this. But the truth is the, the problem, and I think the reason that so many young people drop out of church is that there's no consistency and there's no longevity. And so, you know, you'll have a, a class of people from 6th through 12th grade, and in those years, in those seven years of middle school and high school, they've gone through three different people leading their youth ministries. So how can we expect a different result? But I believe that teenagers are worth so much more. And just a little bit of my story is that I didn't grow up in church. I actually came to Christ when I was in the ninth grade. And let me tell you, ninth grade was one of the most difficult years of my life. It wasn't 2020, but it was a precursor. It was tough. I was a freshman in high school. My brother was a senior. Just picture any TV show where the big brother is a bully to the little brother, and that's my brother, okay? Sadistic, evil man. He's now a dentist. All right. <laughs> can't make it up. I can't make this up. It's a true story. We have since reconciled. He was the last person in my family to come to Christ. It took him about 20 years. But I had some support in ninth grade. I joined a club at my school called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I just went because it was the big club at our school and I wanted to be a part of something. I was a football player and I was a wrestler, so I thought, oh, I'll be an FCA. But through FCA, I got connected to a church where a group of adult volunteers poured into me, convinced me that Christianity was true, that Jesus was not only a historical figure, 
but also God in the flesh, the son of God who can save us from our sins. And so as that kid who was bullied and empty and depressed, a student ministry really saved my life. And so that's why I'm stuck there. That's why I will never stop giving up on young people. So I stand before you today because to me, it matters. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to just discuss together as a family the plight of our young people and what we can do. God, I would ask that as you prepare our hearts for the decisions that have to be made, Lord, that you would speak to us very clearly, God. We trust you and your will. Father, we love you. And we're thankful for your giving us the gift of the responsibility to serve our young people. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.